pastors are starting a new series on Sundays here uh, called Navigating the End Times. And uh, it's an immense topic uh, where Sunday presentations really could take hours. And we, of course, we don't have that. So uh, all we can do is best is have a glimpse into this big topic. And uh, so that uh, on a Sunday, uh, we just spent 12 lessons on this in Bible school, and we barely scratched the surface. So you can see this is a big topic to undergo. And today I started off with, I have the honor of starting it, with uh, a presentation on the signs of the times. And I hope you'll get something out of this today, because if there are no signs of the times, why are we even talking about this? But there are, and that's the key. What times are we living in? That's very important for us to always have that in the forefront of our minds. Uh, in Matthew chapter 16, in verses 1 to 3, we have Jesus speaking here. And the Pharisees came up and they were trying to put Jesus to the test. So they're asking him to show them a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, while it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but you are unable to discern the signs of the times. Here in Matthew's gospel, Jesus rebukes the religious leaders of his day because they could not discern the signs of the times. And of course, in context here, he is the sign of the times, that he is Messiah, and they don't even want to recognize or say so. But there's also the implication, though, the signs of the times. He implied they should know how to read it. And, and again, in Jesus' uh, gospel here in Matthew 24, uh, there's other scriptures that speak to us on what's called end times. And Jesus goes on to say, there will be famines, wars, increase in lawlessness, uh, signs in the stars, the moon, the seas, great distress among the nations. Uh, Paul even tells Timothy that in the last days, there'll be difficult times. So it's interesting because for so many Christians in the first three centuries, since the resurrection of Jesus, they thought they were in the last days. Uh, and so these have been difficult scriptures for the Lord's church over the years to understand. Because in nearly every century since these were said in the Bible, these signs showed up in nearly every century. And yet the human race continues. So they're not the last days. So what makes it so different for us now that we would say such a thing? Why now? What makes the times we live in so different? Why do we call these the last days? And well, first of all, we need to recognize that um, all times are in God's hands. It's very important. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, in the first part of the verse, Daniel says, it is he who changes the times and the periods. And he removes kings and appoints kings. You're not looking at history, you're looking at his dash story, history, his story. And certainly there are prophetic periods that God changes in the ages. We're living in one now. But there's also uh, the times we live in, uh, in general. And um, did you realize when the gospel first came in the first century, the human race entered last times? How about that? Last times. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, he says, For he foreknew before the end of the world, but he has appeared in these last times for your sake. He's not referring to the times that just took place, but these last times. 
uh, when you look at the thousands of years of human history, um, this is the end of it. And yet it's lasted a long time, hasn't it? Uh, we were, because even then in Peter's day, it was not the last of days. Peter tells us also in another verse that uh, to the Lord, to the Father God, uh, one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is as a day. And there's a scripture in Isaiah that talks about on the third day, he will revive us. Well, that's a, that could be prophetically examined as a 3,000 year time period. And we've entered into the third day. Heavy stuff. Uh, but, amen. yeah, amen, amen. But there are three things I want to present to you today that you really should remember that we are living now in the last days of the end times. And there's three very significant witnesses to that of why I would say such a thing. And so, number one, since the beginning of the 20th century, things have changed drastically in the Christian church. There has been an acceleration as no other time in Christian history, especially the reoccurrence of a global manifestation of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, with people speaking with other tongues, prophecy, miracles occurring everywhere over the globe, and no one church could claim it happened. They, we made it happen. That's cool. All I can do is just recognize what God is doing. And then we saw that reinforced in 1960 with another big shock, the charismatic renewal. Mainline denominations, Roman Catholics, Methodists, Lutheran, Episcopalians, speaking in tongues. Mainline denominational uh, Pentecostals went, what's going on here? Sorry, you don't know everything. <laughs> God is unveiling an immense thing in history that's happening in our days. And um, in the first, uh, the beginning of the 20th century, uh, these Christians who have very powerful prophetic word at that time period, prophetic word has changed over this past century quite a bit. They were very end times oriented in their prophetic word. And prophetically, they believed that the last days have come upon us. And they based it upon what they were experiencing because of Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, as a prophetic scripture being fulfilled in their day. It says in Joel, uh, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And that's what they were seeing. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. That's what they were seeing. And your old men will have dreams and your young men will see visions. Then at the end of verse 29, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So they believed based on that scripture prophetically that it was being fulfilled in their days and in the days ahead. The last days have fell upon us. So today, we need to know that that's only one of some important witnesses that tell us we're in the last days. The first instance is definitely the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as never before on the earth. And it continues to do so with more and more biblical truth being revealed. Uh, not new things, just the Word of God being opened up to us and revelation coming for it, that's already there as in ways we've never seen it. There are biblical uh, teachings happening in the past hundred years that they didn't have in the whole history of the Christian church. Wow, that's wild. It, you know, it says we stand, uh, in the Bible, but a poet once wrote, we stand on the shoulders of giants. Truly we do stand on the shoulders of theologians and giants that have existed hundreds of years before us and have built on their revelations. Revelation building upon revelation. And uh, as far as the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, my gosh, we only see a little glimpse here. 
in this area of the, of the country. Uh, there's a brother in the Lord that has um, done teachings. He's from uh, Central America. They raise the dead there like it's no big deal. Amen. Wow. Not seeing that here, but across the globe, big things are happening that we don't have clues about. Uh, I mean, like, my gosh, there have been evangelists like the late Reinhard Bunke. He spoke to crowds in the hundreds of thousands. Nobody did that in centuries previous. Nobody. Wow. So things are happening as never before. We'll get back to that in a minute. That's number one. An immense outpouring of the Holy Spirit is an evidence of last days. But it didn't stop there. <clears throat> number two, and I personally consider this the biggest one, why I believe in last days. In 1948, Israel became a state. That's a big deal. That's a further explosive event on planet earth. In terms of end times and last days, the existence of the state of Israel means everything. Amen. It actually began, in my view, the last days, 1948. It shocked theologians. They had thought they had all these fixed scriptures figured out on the end times. But when Israel became a state, it fulfilled biblical prophecy with phenomenal accuracy especially from uh, uh, the book of Ezekiel, which we do not have time today to go through. That could take hours. But it shocked everyone who thought they had all the answers. What it means is we now have a, uh, we're watching a time clock for the return of Christ on the horizon. Amen. It explains so many scriptures. Jesus, speaking in Matthew 24 and verse 34, Jesus says, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. Now, one question is, well, what generation? Is it his century? Couldn't have been. They're still here. They moved on. What he, I believe prophetically Jesus is speaking of 1948, the uh, start of a new nation. And, and regarding that prophetic statement, 1948 hasn't even been 100 years yet, has it? Consider we are seeing the ends of what? The World War II generation, primarily born in the 1920s. When they finally pass away, that generation will be gone. The World War I generation, gone. So in that concept, if you have children being born in 1948, what does that generation happen before they are all gone? At least 100 years? Jesus is referring to that generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And of course, Jesus is referring to what we call the Great Tribulation, the end times. And you've got to remember, Matthew 24, 25, and beyond are really on Israel, not the church. It's a focus on what God calls the elect, the nation of Israel. So a lot of things have happened here. Um, also, consider here in Daniel chapter 12, we're not going to turn there, but you'll find in the beginning of the chapter, the Daniel says, and Daniel's a book that deals with future nations, futures events, future moves of God with incredible accuracy because it all came to pass. And obviously, if that came to pass, the other things he had to say will come to pass. It's not going to be, you know, accurate 40% of the time. I think I'll be 100%. Anyway, Daniel says, knowledge will increase in the last days. Well, we have had an immense amount of biblical knowledge and understanding explode in Christianity over the last 120 years. All the scholarly books we read to use were written then. Uh, again, as I said, we have teachings circulating in the body of Christ that didn't exist hundreds of years before us. 
And it's been absolutely phenomenal the amount of revelation of the Word of God that has gone forth in the 20th century. Uh, we've seen a restoration of the prophetic. We've seen a restoration of the apostolic. Uh, great biblical teachings have come forth as never before. Uh, it's, it's amazing what we're seeing. Uh, we've seen people who come to Christ now in the millions. Uh, I think it was, um, was it, it might have been Dwight Moody or uh, Billy Sunday, uh, turn of the tw 20th century, were the first evangelist to ever see a million people come to Christ. Amen. Billy Graham far surpassed that. Who knows what Reinhard Bonnke has accomplished when he was here. Uh, we don't know. Uh, it's just amazing. This has never been done before in the history of the Christian world. That's amazing stuff happening. Uh, and when you talk about knowledge increasing in the last days, my gosh, there's a whole separate thing to examine when we realize the immense amount of knowledge that's increased in the technical in the 20th century. Now, maybe you might know, the first group, group didn't know this, so you might know this. Uh, it's been said, but this comes from the 90s, that knowledge increases, it doubles every six months. Do you realize what I just said? Knowledge of the human race doubles every six months, and that has gone down. Does anybody know the current statistic? This group doesn't know either. Okay, well, anyway, it is, Chris Healy knew this, but he's not here. He's in Carolinas. But uh, yeah, the old one I remember, and that was from the 90s, knowledge doubles on planet Earth every six months. Huh? I mean, the technical is absolutely incredible. Look at modern medicine, what it has done. We've walked on the moon. Come on. What? This is in one century. My grandfather was born in the 1890s. He lived almost to 100. In his lifetime, it started with people on horses. And he saw men walk on the moon. And he never got the clue that, do you realize you've seen more in your lifetime than most of humanity has ever seen? If you were born in 500 AD and you lived your life, guess what you saw? Nothing. <laughs> nothing changed. It's like the plaque on the house in 1843. Nothing here happened. You saw nothing change for centuries. And in one century? It is mind-boggling. That could take hours just to examine. It is unbelievable what's happened. Uh, so there is an end-time witness here of world history. Uh, a confirmation. We're in last days. Since 1948, the world has gone through an immense world upheaval to the very day we live in, and it continues. Uh, wars as never before in history. Do you realize more people died in the 20th century in war than all other centuries combined? Do you hear what I just said? We had 40 million alone die in World War II. More people have died in wars in the 20th century than every single century of human history combined. That's not changing? Do you realize over 110 million people in the 20th century have died because of communism? That is unbelievable globally. People whose lives, as precious as yours or mine, were wiped out because of communism alone. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, so we have constant, uh, unstable world economies. I don't know how many governments Italy has been through. Is it 40 already? They've had like 40 separate constitutions. Really? That's just one country. Amazing. We only have one. 40 different governments. 
uh, uns constant unstable world economies, famines that have killed millions of people. I would venture to guess more people have died in famine alone in the 20th century than all other centuries combined. There's been famines in Africa and Asia which have killed in the millions of people. Uh, revivals in false religions and cults as never before. Total dependence on computers just to survive. And beyond computers, don't forget satellites. If they go down, you're in the Stone Age. Absolutely phenomenal. Push to one world government. So unfortunately, we don't have time this morning to go in great detail or depth on any of this. The gravity of the human uh, situation we find ourselves in. Yet always remember, we're watching this prophetic time clock as it ticks away in front of our eyes. Only the builder of the clock knows the true time. Men have always thought they had the time figured out and were always proved wrong and they always will be. So don't think you're so smart. Only the builder knows the true clock's time. But certainly, uh, how much longer can it be? I mean, when you consider how much Israel is hated, it's, it's incredible. How long will that continue? Which leads you know, to a, another point. I'm getting ahead of myself here. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 22, Paul tells us, For we know the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. The entire creation is moaning for the return of Christ. Moffat translation of that, to this day we know the entire creation sighs and throbs with pain. We are living in amazing days. Many things could be said to looking at these uh, confirming signs in the 20th century into now the 21st century to convince us. Much can be said. I need hours. I don't have it. But let me tell you one clear sign in the natural. We have number one, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Number two, which I think is the most important, the existence of the state of Israel. But something that people just don't think of very often. Number three, nuclear war. Let me quote Albert Einstein to you at the end of a quote he had. Listen carefully how he says this. World War Four will be fought with clubs. Mankind now has in its ability to destroy and wipe out all life on planet Earth. God will not let them do that. Why? Because Satan doesn't have the final word. Jesus tells us the evil one comes only to rob, kill, and destroy. He's not going to have the final word. But when you consider what's available now, to humanity, you really think they're that sane? Israel is so incredibly hated, it's a matter of time before they're attacked. And the only thing that preserves them right now is the existence of America. Without us, they're gone. That's not going to happen. Jesus' words, when you look at what Einstein said, takes it even further. Jesus' words in Matthew 24, verse 22. And when it talks about the elect, it's talking about the Jewish race, the nation of Israel, not the church. In those days, Jesus is speaking, in those days, I'm sorry, and if those days had not been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Wow. Wow. How, why would he make a statement like that? In the presence of nuclear war, that makes sense. 
no one would be found alive. So we're not going to get to that point. I trust Jesus or all will be lost. But the days are really short and will be shortened according to Jesus. We don't really know what that means. So in the light of everything I shared here, uh, here in this very brief time, uh, we have a series here called Navigating the End Times. So how do I, how do you plan to navigate our future days together? How do we do that? Well, again, due to time here, I just want to give you the bullet points. Number one, fear not. Amen. Fear not, fear not, fear not. The times are in his hands and he knows how to keep his people. Tells us that in, uh, in John 10, uh, that he knows how to, how to preserve us. He knows how to keep us, that none would be lost. He knows how to save me, even though I can goof it up. He knows how to keep me. Uh, for the believer, these are exciting days. I'm not here to be a downer. These are exciting days for the believer. There's an old saying for the unbeliever, hope you like what you're seeing because it gets a lot worse from here. For the believer, what you're seeing, this is the worst it's going to get. It gets a lot better from here. Amen? Old saying, it's a good one. Where there is so much more of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we cannot comprehend beyond our, con our, our comprehension that's coming. Remember in the uh, book of Acts, when uh, Peter and John walked by, people were healed when their shadow fell on them. You're going to be seeing that in your lives. I believe that. People will not have any, that's Jesus, not real. They'll know it's real, reject him or accept him, make a decision. It'll be that black and white. Praise God. There's great days ahead of us. Fear not. You want to be found in Christ. Amen? Number two here. Don't be ignorant of the evil days we live in. I'm paraphrasing Paul. Don't be ignorant of the evil days we live in. You know, when we look at all this, uh, honestly, part of this speaks to us to ask what sort of lives should we be living? My opinion is that many Christians uh, need to be more serious about how they spend their days, how they plan their future. Uh, not picking on people, certainly not here. Christians are, can be pretty selfish people. How are you living? Or as the great evangelist Leonard Ravenhill once said, is what you're living for worth what Christ died for? And don't point your finger at people. You got three point, fingers pointing back at you, you know. These are questions we really need to ask ourselves. What am I living for? In the light of the days we live in, they're evil. What am I living for? What am I giving myself to? What am I soaking myself into my eye gate and ear gate every day? We need to ask hard questions of ourselves. What kind of days are we living in here? How should I be living? And number three here, keep your eyes on Jesus. It's that simple. How you do that? Got a Bible here. Stare into it. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen. Did a sermon a few Wednesdays ago, which says the word is a mirror. Keep staring. It's going to reflect right back at you. You're changed into the likeness you see. I've been doing this for too long. Keep staring. Keep staring. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It's all that keeps us together. Keep your eyes on Jesus. In the King James Bible, in James chapter 5, verse 8, be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of our Lord draweth nigh. Modern English draws near. The coming of our Lord draws near. Let's pray. Father God, Holy Spirit, bring us light about the days we're living in. We rejoice 
Our times are in your hands. We rejoice that your plan and your purposes for, your, for our lives here, Father, would come to pass. That, Lord God, you would accomplish all that concerns us, Father God, for the purpose that we have here in the body, physically, uh, to bear fruit for the kingdom of God in our generation. Lord, speak to us today, the days ahead. Confirm, Lord God, your plans and your purposes for our lives. For although the days are evil, they're prosperous for the believer. Bring us light, Father, all of us. Bring us light, Father God. That this isn't a sermon somewhere we stuff away in a notebook, but someone we live out in the days ahead. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us in these days ahead in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen. Let's go to communion here. We've got these really fancy things here that we peel back. Oops, I messed it up already. No, I'm not bleeding. That's actually grape juice. All right. I always get these messed up. Okay, there we go. Oh, spilled it again. Can't tell you how many things I've spilt on myself with these things. Come on, you two. You've done it. Got it. There we go. Um, I want to read here from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, it's very important to remember, this is the covenant meal. Yeah, communion's nice. I don't like the word. This is the covenant meal. You have a covenant because of Jesus. We don't use these kind of words in our language in the 21st century. We use the word contract. This is a covenant. Briefly, there's different ways to make covenants. One covenant-making way is where a stronger one is making covenant with a weaker one. You might remember Dr. Livingston, I presume. Uh, when Dr. Livingston was a famous uh, missionary in Africa, um, he had this goat. He needed this goat because he needed the, the milk. He wasn't a well man. He needed the goat's milk. But he needs to go into this region. But he needs the tribe who lives in that region to let him pass. So what does he do? He has to make a covenant with them. Well, one thing you do in covenants is you exchange gifts. And um, the, the, the head chief of the tribe wanted his goat. He didn't want to give his goat up, but he wanted his goat. He said, I won't survive. All right, fine, take the goat. And the chief gave him his staff with a spear. Like, Just what I need, a staff with a spear. And they made a covenant together. Now, wherever Dr. Livingston went, people would know this man is in covenant with this strong tribe. So other tribes that could attack him would see the spear. Whoa-hoo! We ain't messing with this guy. That tribe is going to come and wipe us out. Hey, you want the hotel suite? Want that? They'll do anything for this guy. It actually kept him alive. Because he, who had nothing to offer, except a goat, made a covenant with one stronger. That's us. Jesus, our Lord, made a covenant with us. We, the weaker, who have nothing to offer him, and he has everything to offer us, made a covenant with us. And because of Jesus, that we're in covenant with him, and he's my covenant partner, his resurrection is my resurrection. Because if he rose from the dead, I can rise from the dead. I have a covenant promises. He's the second head of the Godhead, second person of the Trinity. And I'm in covenant with him? Really? This is a good deal. I can't do anything to make this happen. I just receive it and say yes in faith. That's all he asks me to do, believe. The Old Testament Jew had a do covenant. He must do, 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 do. And because he can't, all the more reason it points to, you need a Savior. The New Testament believer, we don't have a do covenant. We have a believe covenant. 
Our part is believe that Jesus did the do for us. And we look and we live our lives believing. And so when we come here to our communion table, we, what is this about? I'm in the covenant meal. I'm recognizing I'm in covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we go to Paul here, verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, when he had given thanks, broke it and, uh, taking the bread, given thanks, said, take this, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, a covenant contract, a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we do this. What are we doing? We're saying, I proclaim you, Lord Jesus. You're risen from the dead. Therefore, I am. I proclaim you, Lord Jesus, because your covenant is real. It's my covenant, and I'm your covenant partner. And my covenant partner doesn't forget me and doesn't, know how, and doesn't let me go. He clings to me and I cling to him. You're proclaiming a covenant. You know, when they have memorials, what is a memorial? A memorial remembers a covenant that's been taking place. We remember something happened. This is a memorial meal. We remember the covenant. So I encourage you today to take the bread, take the juice of the vine here, and declare, thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm in covenant with you. You're my covenant partner. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father God, I pray for everyone here. Those even watching on, uh, on media. I pray for them all, Father, as they're receiving communion today. Thank you for the covenant, Father. Thank you because of Jesus. We're in the covenant. Thank you because of Jesus. He's coming back for his covenant people. Thank you because of Jesus. My true citizenship is in heaven. Thank you because of Jesus. I have a resurrection. My five senses don't tell me that. I do it by faith because this side of heaven, I live by faith. I thank you, Father God, my covenant partner, the Lord Jesus Christ, knows how to keep me. Father, I speak a blessing here over these people. I speak a blessing over their finances, Lord God, that they would be enriched. I speak a blessing over all the bodies here, Lord God. We reject the enemy's will of sickness and disease and poverty, and we embrace, Lord God, your will for health and restoration and divine health. May relationships here, Father, that have been pulled apart be restored, Father God. May, Lord God, the prodigal come home where they belong. Lord God, may families here find restoration, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are our covenant partner. We press into the covenant. We thank you for it daily. We're not letting go of it because you're not letting go of us. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name today. Can you say amen? Amen. amen.